On today's episode of Double Down Trent, we welcome back special reoccurring guest Coulter as we do our latest installment of our newest series called Role Players. Now, if you're not familiar, we are highlighting some of the best role players in movie and TV history. Last week, we had done Pauly Walnuts. This week, we've got quite the role player. We are doing the one and only Marlo Stanfield from The Wire. We're going to be discussing the best quote from Marlo, the best scene Marlo's in, the legacy of this character, would you have a beer with this character, and many more. So stick around for the second installment of Role Players on episode 43 of Double Down Trent. Double down Trent, you might want to tune in Talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win Pop culture to movies, let's start up the combo Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto Keep it authentic and it's always live So competitive, so you know it's always hype Make sure you subscribe, trust you don't want to miss Going all in here on Double Down Trent Hey, yeah, Double Down Trent, let's go This is Double Down Trent Man, I did go with the spot. You a rifle hustler. What's your name again, man? Boney? Biddy? What's it now? You know my name. Yeah. But now here's the thing. This spot all built up and shit, we need it, yo. Yeah. What? Two choices. Start taking on packages or you can step off. My man Chris gonna holler at you, all right? And you tell him what it need be. All right, welcome to Double Down Trent, the podcast where two elementary school buddies are talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. We got a really special episode tonight. We are welcoming back reoccurring guest Coulter, and we are doing the next installment of Role Players. So, Coulter, Bud, welcome back on the show. Thank you so much for having me and, and letting this idea uh, have wings to take off. You know, it's it's so great to talk TV, but... Looking back at some of the characters that made it as memorable as it is, it's it's a real real pleasure. Yeah, and if we have any listeners that are just joining us that didn't catch the first segment of this, we are highlighting uh, major characters from TV and movies that are just role players. So they're not the star, they're not carrying the show, but they are vital and essential to why we love these these TV shows and movies. So we had previously done Pauly Walnuts from The Sopranos. He is what I thought the goat, and now. Coulter, we come to somebody who is coming for the crown quickly. I was gonna, I was gonna say, don't tell this guy that Polly's wearing the crown because Polly won't make it an episode or two. <laughs> yep. So we are looking at Marlo Stanfield from The Wire, uh, just one of many amazing characters on that show. I think we've talked previously that you know, depending on what we've seen recently, The Sopranos and The Wire kind of flip flop as uh, you know our favorite dramas. So. Uh, yeah. this, this character hits near and dear for me. Well, not near and dear. That's, a, that's not the right way to put it, but, uh, I guess a character that I find just fascinating. Yeah. I mean, what I found doing the kind of the research for this role, watching the YouTube clips, doing a couple episodes, reading uh, the character's profile, it just seeps into you so quickly how evil he is. And you just feel like this evilness is lingering with you. Even just watching the clips on YouTube, it's like really tangible. And he's so like, soft-spoken he doesn't ever yell it's this like different kind of evil that like you can just tell right away even in that first scene where he's got the golf club and he comes out and he's like just don't waste my time uh he goes at it right away or no you know he says he says do it or don't and like that's that guy's my mindset on all all business transactions yeah and i actually so i might i was gonna save that exact quote because i've got that in some scenes for some of our topics but uh it's actually that scene where uh bubbles and his buddy bump into the car right and marlo's two like henchmen have got them held up on gunpoint and marlo comes out and he just looks at him and the guy's like oh yeah he scuffed up my ride and marlo's just like look do it or don't i don't really care but i got places to be like that sums him up so well <laughs> Yeah, you got to love how the first scene is with Bubbles. You've got this guy who's so down on his luck, who's constantly being, you know, thrown back in drug addiction. And then you've got the guy who's the lead supplier. He's going for the the crown, so to speak, as we've said. Uh, and it's just like the most powerful versus the weakest. And it's like you see that so many times on this show. It's all these different characters. are, And he, he really interacts with everybody. He interacts with Prop Joe. 
Avon, Stringer. Uh, McNulty is following him. He's got interactions with Herc. I mean, you, you get yeah. on the list. I mean, he touches Bubbles. I mean, Michael. I mean, who does he not interact with yeah. in the show? But Bodie, I mean, everybody. Yeah, and he just shows right off the bat how he's running things. It's a new regime in Baltimore. Like, the stuff with uh, Bubbles is is wild. And then, you know, for me, it starts when you see Bodie, a character that we followed since season one, who's, you know, kind of rising through the ranks of the Barksdale crew, who comes up to Marlo. Marlo's just like chill as a fucking cucumber with a golf club being like, nah, but I'm going to need you to get you and your people off the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like such, such disrespect to Bodie. It's so great. And you, you really think Bodie's a tough guy going up into that interaction. And then Marlo walks away as just so much more powerful, even though he's really said not much at all. Yeah. So let's jump in uh, a little bit on the actor who's playing Marlo. Let's get a little bit about him. So the actor is uh, Jamie Hector. Uh, had you seen him in anything before The Wire? Not at all. No, this was a completely new face, and he didn't really do much. He was in a short film called Five Deep Breaths by Seath Mann, um, and he was in the lead role of that Five Deep Breaths, and that ended up being an f- official selection at Cannes, Sundance, Tribeca, you name all the film festivals. So he ended up winning a couple of awards for that short film. And that's how he got into this. And, wow. uh, post the wire, he's actually gone on to co-star in the series Bosch, um, which is a lot more than can be said for a lot of the other alum from this show. You see a lot of other guys, uh, other actors who have not made it as big. Of course, you've got Stringer, Idris Elba and Omar, Michael Kenneth Williams and Wallace, Michael B. Jordan. They've gone on to be A-listers, but yeah, th- those are the three. Whereas, you know, you can list off bubbles, Kima, Lester, uh, Bodie, none of these people have kind of sh- crept into our lives. So at least uh, Jamie Hector's still around on Bosch. He's still leading a co-leading a series. Yeah, and I actually saw him uh, in the Tupac movie, The All Eyes on Me. So no, I'm glad you put that in our in our show notes because I remember watching that movie. And I think this will carry over or carry over into our conversations about these actors. A lot of times, like as soon as I saw him in in All Eyes on Me, I was like, it's Marlo. Holy shit. Like right. a lot of these characters are so entrenched. I guess a lot of these actors are so entrenched in their characters that for me, it's hard to separate like Michael B. Jordan and uh, Idris Elba. I can separate. But like even when I see Michael K. Williams and things, I'm like, Omar coming. <laughs> right. It's just so interesting, like why it broke for some of them and it didn't for others. Like the kid who plays Michael is phenomenal. Where is he been? You know, yeah. why didn't it break for him and why did it break for Michael B. Jordan? It's like the talent level is the same for these two young men uh, at this juncture in their careers when they're doing the wire. So one career goes in one direction and one goes in the complete other. So it's definitely interesting. And then another good comparison to that is Stringer and and Avon. I mean, yeah, at at the time that this show was made, you, I mean, Wood Harris was coming off. Remember the Titans in this, I mean, how much was his stock worth at that time? I mean, you would have had a, I would have been investing in him for sure. It's just so weird. He never made it, you know, at the odd, at the time of the show, he would have been the odds favorite to be the biggest star from it, I think. I totally agree. And I, I guess it just shows you that you need a lot of luck in that industry because Tons. you know, th- those are the two best comparisons. Michael B. Jordan as Wallace and Michael, uh, you know, they're they're in one season for the most part. They make their big impact. But a guy like Michael B. Jordan in the show is in maybe five, six episodes and somehow goes on to be a superstar. Whereas, you know, with Stringer and Avon, they're playing against each other the whole time. They're both looking like incredible actors. Right. And I mean, it, it should be said. I mean, Wallace is one of the best parts of season one that oh. he's in. Not to play spoiler, but if you haven't watched The Wire, go do so immediately. And yeah. then, I mean, Idris Elba is definitely a force in the first three seasons of the show. I mean, Stringer is the pulse of the show. I mean, it's. It, I mean, there's a reason why we're doing role players on Marlowe. He is a role player. He is in the. We were just saying how he, his tentacles kind of touch all the characters. On the flip side of that. Uh, Stringer is literally dictating terms to every yeah. character. He is kind of, you know, if Avon's the face of the operation, he is the right hand man in in the purest of sense. I mean, he puts Tom Hagen to shame. I mean, he is like the, <laughs> he really is the ultimate uh, kind of capo. So yeah, to speak. that's a good uh, comparison. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, we're going really to seriously. <laughs> we could talk wire forever. So let's go back. So uh, we've got a couple of fun, uh, interesting tidbits here. So Rolling Stone, they actually ranked Marlowe as the number two greatest villain of all time. So out of the 40 villains, he's number two. Do you think that's a reasonable, uh, reasonable place? I mean, for- 
it really goes in credit to Jamie Hector because I mean it's this is a relatively unknown guy. Uh, one part before this, one uh, short film, and I mean it really goes and speaks volumes to his talent that he's the number two villain of all time in all TV, and that he's, he's stayed there too. And again, I can't emphasize this enough. He's so soft spoken. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue. So if you when doing the research for this, it's like you're trying to go back and find memorable clips, and it's like. Well, actually, his most memorable stuff is that he's just constantly, perpetually scheming against those around him. He only trusts uh, two people, basically, right? Yeah. And he's got Snoop and Chris, and he really is enemies with everybody else. I mean, Chris and Snoop should be on that list, too, if you're asking me. I mean, they're ruthless people, too. I mean, obviously, they're they're working for Marlo, but, man, that crew is just scary. <laughs> I mean, if, if Stringer is the ultimate right-hand man. I mean, Par- Partlow is the ultimate soldier. I mean, he is a, just an executioner in the finest sense of the word, or not finest, but... But yeah, <laughs> you know most efficient, I'm yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he is a guy who just takes out, he carries out Marlowe's orders for sure. But Marlowe is, I mean, the reason why he's up there is he doesn't hesitate. I mean, this is a guy who knows exactly, he sees it all, and he knows exactly how he wants to play every situation. He lets people talk and just doesn't react. I mean, there's so many scenes in this show where People are talking at him and they're talking about their plans and all he's doing is just taking in the information and not giving them anything. Yeah. And I love uh, that Marlo's just main goal is he wants to run the streets like he wants to be feared in the streets. He wants to be the most powerful guy. It's not money. Yeah. He's not driven. Right. Family. Yeah. It's just power and, and name. I, I really like what they did uh, with his character at the end because the whole uh, oh, storyline with so Stringers, good. he wants to legitimize himself and get into the business yeah. world and not be a street guy. Well, Marlo gets that opportunity. Like he gets what bought out for ten million, and he gets starts gets introduced to these like you know power players. And he's, he's, the, decides, he's at that party with this. Yeah, movie. he looked so goofy with it on. Yeah. Yeah. And he realized he was out of, you know, the, that world that he didn't want to be in. So he just goes back to the street as opposed to where Stringer just couldn't, you know, leave that that business uh, legitimate side away. So I thought that was a really cool parallel that they did uh, and just showed those two street guys and kind of their difference in values and just that Marlo wants to be the gangster on the street. He wants to be a gangster. Yeah. He doesn't want to be uh, clean shaven and and all, you know uppity rubbing elbows basically he doesn't want to be stringer which is interesting because i think he takes something from stringer in their interaction in season three and he's almost like an evil sponge he takes like the smart qualities of everybody that's around him and he uses it to his own kind of power so he learns from proposition joe he learns from the greeks he learns from even omar in the brief scene that they share where he robs him in the card game and omar says money don't got owners and it's like, well, we don't really know much about Marlowe, but like one can infer that he almost took that as kind of his like guide. And so it's like he doesn't think of money as the rest of us do. He uses it as kind of a pawn to get himself more power. He doesn't really care how much he has. He cares what his name is on the street. Yeah. And before we jump into the categories, let's go down uh, just oh, yeah. the top five of these uh, top villains because it's pretty interesting. So uh, give us the list here. Bob from Twin Peaks, I've heard he's a real piece of crap. Uh, I've not seen Twin Peaks, but I've heard this is a evil, evil, evil yeah, piece, of, I, piece of shit. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Joffrey Baratheon definitely earned. Yep. Uh, no doubt about that. He was very evil. I'm actually surprised there's not more Game of Thrones on here. I, I think it's because the list was created in, in 2012 or something. So we didn't get a full full yeah. Game of Thrones. Livia Soprano, who I actually would be mine to vote for number one. I agree. Uh, just because she's so passive aggressive too, kind of like Marlo in a sense. Yeah. But, but even in a worse sense, she's so, she like even plays it even more like she's like your mother, but really she's the devil. Right. At, least Mar- at least Marlo gives you the kind of thing that he doesn't give a shit about you. <laughs> and, we got uh, Marlo so, at Marlo yeah, two, Mar- and then who's Marlo's number one? Two and Ben Linus from Lost, which was an interesting pick because uh, you know he is the true villain for a majority of the show, but they definitely make him a sympathy character towards yeah. seasons five and six, and it. Locke becomes the kind of villain. And, you know, even though the sixth season is not as good as the earlier ones, you kind of view Locke as the antagonist in that show. He's definitely the antagonist to Jack throughout. So yeah. uh, it's hard to think of Lost and not think of, I mean, Locke is the Locke. hero, but then he turns the villain, but he's, yeah, I don't know. Ben Locke yeah. being the number one villain. He's very good when he is being the villain, but I, number one all time, he, he, he vacillates too much. He's like, ulti- he ultimately, ultimately comes out as like kind of a quasi good guy. You can't have that be the number one villain. I mean, when he's yeah, bad, he, he's, I got he's just as bad for sure. But I mean, he's not, 
I mean, Baratheon never got any redemption. There was no redemption for him or Soprano. I mean, that. Yeah, I got major issues with Ben Lance being number one. Great character, but not number one. Uh, okay, so I, let's I jump think, I think it, had to, it had to have been a product of the time the list was made. I was, there's, there's no way that this list gets made today without some of the Game of Thrones people. Like, uh, how is Ramsey Bolton not Ramsey, number one? Yeah. But I don't think he was around when this list was made. If they redid it, I think uh, you'd see some. Yeah, I mean, Cersei would be up there. Gus Spring isn't on here. I think he was six, though, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's catastrophic. In my yeah. Opinion. Yes. We, we oh, yeah, seriously, Barat. I mean, holy right. crap. Yeah. That's what I was could, thinking of when I was saying Game of Thrones should have yeah. more. I mean, we could redo that list. So that that's some some issues there. But let's jump into <laughs> the categories here. So yeah, yeah. the first one is best quote. So like we said, he's not much of a talker. A lot of the uh, you know character development is just kind of through his interactions with other characters. So what do you got here for best quote? Um, yeah, this one's later on in the – this is season five. So Prop Joe says, I treated you like a son. And Marlo says, I wasn't made to play the son. Proposition Joe says, proposition then, I just step out the way. You never hear from me again. I just disappear. And then Marlo says, Joe – You'd be up to mischief in no time. Truth is, you wouldn't be able to change any more than me. But I treated you like a son. I wasn't made to play the son. But my supply, the good dope. The Greeks, they cool with it. Proposition, then. I just step out the way. You'll never hear from me again. I'll just disappear. Joe. You'd be up in a mischief in no time. Truth is, you won't be able to change up any more than me. And that kind of foreshadows what we were just talking about. Uh, his final arc as a character is kind of, he gets to be Stringer and then rejects it. So it's like he almost is saying, he gives you pretty much exactly the foreshadowing. This is, I think, the fourth episode of season five. So there's a couple more after this. Um, but it really shows he's not going to change. And then, of course, he kills Prop Joe in that scene. And Oh, man, I mean, what he says to Prop Joe, he's like, close your eyes. It won't yep. hurt none. He's so soft spoken, but so evil at the same time. You can't you can't not look at him, but you also want to look away and you're just like enchanted. But you also hate him. And it, it's just such a great performance. It really it goes so many ways. And the way he treats Joe there, it's like, you know, he's treating him with respect and a little bit of love more than he gives to most people. But at the same time. This is a guy he's just been conning for months. He's been, like I said, the evil sponge, taking knowledge from Joe and siphoning it all to just take over and kill him. Like, it's it's crazy stuff. And he's pitting, he's pitting uh, what is it, cheese against him? I mean, cheese, it, yep. He's such a manipulator. And yeah, I, I just love this quote because it's like, you know, I wasn't made to play the sun. And then Marlon, both Marlon's quotes here are good. I mean, I wasn't made to play the sun is great because – you don't get any of his backstory. You don't know what his background is with his father, but you're, you assume that some of his edge comes from the fact he obviously didn't have a dad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty, pretty blatant. You don't learn it, but like he's edgy. You could just put one to one together, but then, a, then the line about him not changing is great. Cause he really isn't, uh, he isn't going to ever change. Yeah. It, it's, that's a great choice. I, uh, I can, I think you can't argue with that one. I mean, that sums up his character perfectly. It's in such a, a turning point of the show too. Obviously season five is the last one, but you get cheese betraying Joe, you get Marlo, you know, obviously killing Joe and Joe is a character that I initially in season one wasn't keen to. And then just the amazing beauty of the writing and the, the show made you kind of relate to prop Joe. And all of a sudden you got him, as a guy you're rooting for. But <laughs> yeah, he's sympathetic. Though, yeah, to turn it I that sh- way is, is crazy. I should note, though, that like what's really instrumental here to why we're doing a podcast on Marlowe and not Prop Joe is like Prop Joe is like almost the 12th man on this roster, whereas Marlowe is like the seventh man. So like he is a true role player, whereas like Prop Joe, if this was a basketball team to keep it in the sports analogy, Prop Joe probably wouldn't be seeing the floor. Uh, he's yeah. good, but... He's good, but he's so limited, whereas Marlowe kind of touches everybody and he's he almost infests everybody. And uh, I mean, look, I mean, he really plays the cops, too, even without even interacting with them. Definitely not as much as some of the other uh, gangsters in this show. He has almost limited interaction with the cops. Yet the entire arc of his story is like the cops are investigating him. And then there is no money. And then it's like up and down. And it's like he's celebrating that the cops are off him. And then he's worried that they're back on him. It's like it's up and down. Uh but Prop Joe doesn't have to deal with that kind of, uh, I don't know, he doesn't interact with all the characters in the way that Marlo does, I feel. Yeah. 
I mean, that quote is perfect. So I'm glad you picked that one. Um, I'm my, my quote that I was going to pick is actually bleeding into our next, uh, our next category. So I'm going to leave it alone. This is uh, the Marlo t-shirt quote. I mean, if you were to do a t-shirt of Marlo, this is, you know, yeah. Um, okay. So my, my quick runner up though, is before I give you my answer is, okay. uh, he's standing on the corner with Chris and he realizes that, you know, they're going to have to go to war and he just goes, Chris, tell our people to tool up. Meaning like <laughs> we're going to fucking war. Like that's just all he needed to say. Um, but that's I'm after, going with that's after a uh, stringer, stringer meeting. Talk. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that's, that's great. My answer though is going to be one we already talked about. Look what they did to my ride. Do it or don't, but I got some place to be. First, first time you see him. Yeah. And it just of, sums of him is. up. Right. It's like he doesn't give a shit if you murder these two random people that aren't even in the game. He's like, whatever, do it or don't. I got places to be like, he's just so cold blooded, just doesn't give a fuck about anything. But I mean, if, where you, gotta if, go? you, if you think about it, let's peel the onion a little bit here. If Chris shoots Bubbles, who is an informant with the major crimes division, Chris could get yanked off the street and put in jail so fast. And Marlo loses his top soldier. Yeah. This this guy's attitude towards that being a potential situation is like, yeah, whatever. Like, right. I could I could lose Chris forever and kill this guy just on pure, uh, you know, I mean, why would you kill him? I guess pure evilness, right? <laughs> just not. Yeah. Just not lack, lack of, of caring. For, yeah, lack of empathy for human life, but also just a complete lack of caring on Marlowe's part that he doesn't even see that potential situation but he again speaks to his character it's something he's not smart he just wants to keep going do it or don't yeah uh, okay so let's uh give a grade here so we did one through ten as our rankings here and again we have double down trends proprietary scoring algorithm here courtesy of the model so one to ten uh where do you got your quote in terms of uh, a grade oh man what did we choose for the poly walnuts? So we gave Polly five, uh, a score of five. I forget what we picked for the actual quote, though. Did, did we do the part where he's like, I guess you can call that a dick? I guess you can call that a dick. I, I hope so. I, I'll have to go back and listen. And we apologize to the, uh, the listeners. Because if, if not, we should just give that one a 10. That, is, <laughs> that, that really is the gold standard of, of role player quote. <laughs> Anyways, I would give this quote a solid eight. Uh, An eight? Because it has two quotes, as I broke down, it's got the sun thing. And I think it plays off that dynamic that he has such a disrespect for older men. It's always these older men that are telling him how to be. And he's always just like, yeah, I'll listen to you, but I'm not going to be that. Because I don't want to be you, Stringer. And I don't want to be you, Prop Joe. I want to be Marlo. It's always yeah. about being himself, independent and out of anybody else's control. And uh and I wasn't made to play the sun is perfectly summation of that rebellion. And then again, wouldn't be able to change any more than me. He is not capable of changing. He always wants to be the gangster. So let me, before I give you my grade, let, let me, I should clarify a little on this quote. So are we talking about like a most memorable quote that you can then re quote and, and integrate into your uh, vocabulary? Or are we going to make this like the best quote that defines the character? Cause I'm fine either way with it. I, I think we should just use it as both, honestly. Okay. All right. best, you're right. His best quote should be more like uh, what you were saying. It's something that you could put on a shirt, uh, which is actually what we're getting to in the next one. But yeah, yeah, do, do it or don't is more like the best quote. But I actually think I wasn't made to play the sun is really it fits him a, too. It's a great quote. Yeah, I think it's a standalone quote too because it's just like these guys were never taught how to be a son because they don't have fathers in their life. So it really goes in. It just goes into different layers if you think about it why the show is the way it is. It's like a societal issue of, I mean, look at Michael. I mean, he, yeah. case in point, Michael yep. is a character who does not have a father. He's an abusive stepfather and literally becomes a drug dealer because he wants Marlo to murder his stepdad. Right. I mean, that's the show in a nutshell. And that's why that show is unbelievable. So, uh, yeah. all right, we're going with an eight for quotes. So, uh, I think that's a pretty fair score. It's on the high side for him, but that's a great quote. So our next category is best scene or what the character's like defining moment is. So yeah, take it away. I guess, I guess these these the quote and best scene can kind of almost flip flop in a sense because it's like the scene with Prop Joe is great because it's like he's really is the devil coming into your home. I've never been robbed before, but I can imagine that's 
how it feels to have someone enter your home who doesn't, who shouldn't yeah. be there. But then like this is the best quote. My name is my name is also a great scene. And I, I think this, I put it in the scene category because it's kind of the defining moment of the character, which is how we're breaking it down. And so it really is. Uh, he hears that there's been disrespect on the street and they're, I think it's Chris, right? He, Chris is like, you know, you don't want that yep. on your mind. And he's just like, fuck, you don't know what I want on my mind. Like, yeah. how the hell, you, don't, you know, you can't diagnose what I want on my mind. And so, it, and then he goes on this, I mean, it's definitely his longest uh, monologue in the entire show is running for sure. And then it, it ends with my name is my name. And uh, he goes off on him for sure. It's the first time you hear him raise his voice. It's the first time he speaks more than one or two sentences. I mean, his quotes are short, like do it or don't is a Marlowe. That's Marlowe's essence. It's very brief. Yeah. This is like, he gets truly pissed in this scene. Talk, motherfucker. He just, you know, say that you need to step two in that. I don't know. He just running his mouth. So. You call me a punk? It was bullshit, man. You ain't need that on your mind. What the fuck you know about what I need on my mind, motherfucker? My name was on the street? And we bounce from this shit here, I'm gonna go down in them corners, let them people know. Word did not get back to me. Let them know Marlo stepped to any motherfucker, Omar, Barksdale, whoever. My name is my name. Um, I also like this scene too, because you can kind of see that he's on edge a little bit for the first time in the entire series. He is so calm. I, I, we can't emphasize that enough on this podcast. This will be of all the role players that we do. He's our calmest guy yet. He yeah. is a drug kingpin who is murdering people left and right all over Baltimore and burying yep. them in vacant in, housing. In vacant housing. Yeah. You, yeah he, you, like he is, just did three yoga sessions. Relax. <laughs> uh, I couldn't agree with you more on this one. That's just the, the scene I picked here. Uh, it's, it's just so good. And like you said, it's the first time you see him rattle. It's the first time you see him raise his voice. And you, you see almost the first dent in his uh, his defenses. And all it took was, you know, calling his name out on the street, calling him a coward. And, you know, to say my name is my name. I mean, that, again, is everything about this character where he wants that street cred. He wants to be the name on the street that you fear. And I, I find it really, uh, uh, you know, fascinating. And again, kudos to The Wire that the character that caused all this and called him out is Omar. And Omar... <laughs> is in the same kind of way like Marla, where he just, he wants his name on the street. Like he loves, I bet he loves Omar's coming. Like he knows people are doing that. They fear his name. So, uh, it was just beautiful to have Marla or Omar be the one that causes Marla to have this like kind of, you know, breakdown. Yeah. I was going to say this internal uh, struggle is all caused by Omar and it's so great. And the best part about that, and again, I want to stick with Marla as the centerpiece here, but like Omar is like retired and you don't even see him. And like, it's just so great it's such a great playoff of how strong that character is, is that his presence is still looming with other characters and in, in on the streets physically, even though he's physically not there, but like his presence is felt throughout the show, even when he's not around. And Marlo is freaking out about him, even though he's like, he's at that point uh, when he says, my name is my name. It's like Omar is still retired. Is he not? Or is he? Yeah. Omar's retired. retired. Yeah. No, he's not. Yeah. He's, he's hidden right now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it really goes and shows that it's someone that can be as stealthy as Omar can really trigger a reaction from a guy who, as we just said, is like unbreakable. Marlo does definitely uh, get a little looks a little weak in this scene for the first time in the entire show. Yeah. And it was a great choice by, you know, Jamie Hector, the actor, because as we said, he's played the character so calm, so like controlled the entire time that when he has this kind of, you know, outburst, you can see what that effect is on that character. So I, I thought it was a great job by him. Um, do you have anything uh, more on this one or do you want to give the grade? Yeah, I also really like it because, I mean, this show isn't about Omar and Marlo. It, you know, this isn't heat. You know, it's not about two guys, a villain and a, and a you know, a villain and a cop who are kind of chasing each other. But it has very much that dynamic where it's like, you know, he they can't get rid of one another. It's like Omar can't uh, rid himself of Marlo. It's almost it, it leads to his downfall. Literally, his downfall is ch is chasing this uh you know, Marlo and upsetting this guy, it's his, almost his arrogance of trying to piss Marlo off that leads to his ultimate demise. And then Marlo is like, his whole operation is so thrown off by uh, Omar not even being around, but just Omar saying something or the, the rumor of Omar, you know, a whisper of Omar. And so it's like, you can't, they can't break this cycle of each other. And I love, I love when characters kind of get intertwined like that. And it's like, 
you know, I, I, I always think of heat cause it's like, he has to go back and kill Wayne grow. It's like, if he yeah. doesn't do, if he doesn't do that, he's on the flight out of LA and he can just do it. But it's like, he can't rid himself of that like trouble. And it's like, same thing with Marlowe. It's like, he could totally ignore Omar and be fine, but he just, he's incensed. Yeah. I, I love to, by the way, quick aside here. Every time we talk about any kind of movie, TV, anything, we always get sidetracked by something that's just equally as fantastic, like heat. <laughs> heat is so good. So, so good. good. Um, so for, for my score, the only reason I think I might give this scene a seven is the show has so many amazing scenes that it's hard for me to say that this is like the top three, the top, it might be a top five for Marlo. It's my favorite scene. It's the most impactful for his character. I think that's why I'm giving it a seven here. So what do you got? Yeah, I would, I would agree with the seven. It's it to your point. Exactly. I mean, there's definitely 10 better wire scenes than this. So you can't really say that it's a 10 out of 10, but for, in terms of Marlo, it's, I mean, this is his defining moment. It's really where he, finally cracks a little bit and you can kind of see exactly who he is for the first time ever. Uh, because you really don't get any of that throughout the entire show, which, which is so amazing. We're having a podcast about a character who is like, he's almost like a Blake slate. Like you really don't know much about him other than yeah. he wants, he wants power and he kills people and puts their corpses in vacant, vacant housing <laughs> projects in Baltimore. Yeah. And like you said, we don't know too much about the character and they obviously did that on purpose, but they, oh, they build so the character. Yeah. And they build the character development through the scenes that you see him in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. I think we might have mentioned this too, but it's all, it's worth going back. It's like every, some of the best quotes about Marla when you're doing the research are said by other characters. So it's like, we get a lot of his backstory or learn a bit a lot about him through other characters uh, like in season three, there's, I'm trying to draw a blank on the guy who's working the case, but basically he tells the cops, like this guy is the devil incarnate because you know what? He killed, uh, he killed somebody, he killed a witness, I think in a case. And so yeah, he did. Yep. This, this one guy is trying to solve the uh, case and, uh, but yeah, he's, he's a real reptile, Marlo. Yeah. And that's a good point too. We learn a lot about him by what other people say, which is interesting. So, um, what do we think? Seven for, uh, for scene? Oh yeah. Seven for sure. Okay, cool. So <laughs> this next one, this one, I'm going to, I'm going to spoil this one's a 10. So next one, as Coulter said, is best scheme. So basically what plan did they put in motion? Uh, we can talk about whether they succeeded, whether they failed. So go ahead, take this one away. Cause I know you got a good one. Hidden bodies, uh, you know, hiding the bodies in the in the project buildings, the vacant project buildings is so good because you know what it is. It, it it's such a good juxtaposition. Season four is so well done in the schools, and like that clearly was the the tonal focus uh, that they used David Simon for that season. Just like the docs are season two, it's kind of like the backbone or the spine of the schools. But man, is the drama around the bodies in the building just as good as anything that the show's ever done? I mean, when I think of The Wire. It's hard for me not to think of that. The first thing that comes to my mind other than Omar is probably that opening scene with uh, Snoop when she goes and buys the power drills. It's like it's the cold. It's the ultimate cold open, too, by the way. Shows should just stop doing the cold open because, like, The Wire killed it. The Wire literally won the cold open in that episode. And it's all – she's buying the things because they're obviously locking up these – they're unlocking these apartment buildings that are vacant and then drilling the door back on or drilling them closed. And yeah. What, what, what does Lester call them? The tombs at the end the of the tombs. season? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> how did they, how many did they find in there? Wasn't it like almost a hundred or something? Like that? Yeah. I like, forget the exact number, but it was up there. Cause there's that scene in the, uh, I believe it's in like a school gym where they just show bodies covered under blankets and, and they're reporting the numbers, but isn't that uh, that's, season, that's the end of season four, right? Yeah. Yep. And yeah. It's, and it, it's so great too. It's cause it's like the cameras are finally off of and look at what he does when they're not watching. It's yeah. like, holy fuck. It's wild because that whole season when, when, uh, you know, Marlon and his crew are putting the bodies in the vacants, the cops know they're killing these people. They know they that it's Marlon, them, right? but yeah, they, they got nothing on him and there's no bodies. They can't get the the camera. I remember the scene with Herc is trying to plant the camera and oh, yeah. they find I'm, the I'm glad you mentioned that. We would be bad if we did a Marlon pod without mentioning the Herc. Yeah. He's, and, so, he's laughing at him. He doesn't find much funny. I don't think he ever laughs in the show, but he definitely finds that amusing that Herc lost his job because of the camera. Yeah. That scene where uh, they, they bump into each other. At, it, it's Levy, right? The lawyer's office. Oh, Levy. Yeah. And uh, Marlon's like, you ever get that camera? <laughs> Mark <laughs> Herc goes, yeah, it cost me the job. <laughs> and he just gives a little so chuckle. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
funny. Yeah. Um, so that one is crazy because you, the cops were trying to give him the whole season and Marlo's just building his empire. Uh, I, it's hard for me to argue with that one, but uh, in our sheet that we put together here, you actually uh, have my, my scheme, which is uh, his ability to, to blow up the co-op. So right. for for the listeners that didn't see the wire, I'm not sure why you're still listening to this, but the co-op <laughs> is, the, uh, is basically the business unit of all the top drug dealers who came together to chip in on the shipment of heroin so that they Which, could. By the way, is such a brilliant idea. Yeah. And that's a genius creation from Pop, Pop, Prop Joe. I mean, he's like Michelangelo of the drug, yeah. drug game. How did, he, how did he come up with something like that? Right. New so, day co-op. New day co-op. New day co-op. Yeah. That, says that. that would be a good t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> the The reason though, I got that up there. Cause I, you know, I, I think it ties into the bodies, but it, you know, him infiltrating the co-op and blowing up just shows his utter takeover of, of the Baltimore drug scene. So, you know, well, the way- it's, it's a true scheme in the, in, in the sense that like he is, he has a purpose and he's manipulating so many other different people. Whereas the uh, bodies is more like a, uh, he was being practical about a, a problem. You know, he had to solve a crisis. That was his solution to the problem was we'll bury them in these vacants. Yep. And like, this, this was like, here, I'm going to overthrow a prop Joe. Fuck right. Guy. Yeah. I mean, and it, it involves all the crews that we came to know. So, you know, he's infiltrating Stringer and, and the Barksdale crew. He's infiltrating prop Joe. Like he's just taken over everybody. So I thought that scene was, or not that scene, I guess that whole arc over multiple seasons was, uh, was wild. And then it leads to him meeting the Greeks and you know, that, that yeah, takes I, out prop Joe. Every, every scene with him and, uh, Vondas is so good. And you gotta love the scene in jail with him and Avon too, two King, two Kingpins going toe to toe. Yeah. And, you know, Avon never disrespects him, but he definitely shows him a little, like, you know, I, I do run things still with, in season five and he goes to the prison. So, yeah, and uh, I, and I'm glad you mentioned Avon too with Marla because they don't interact a ton. But like when Avon gets arrested at the end of the or not, I mean, is there. Yeah, Marlo's at the uh, the courthouse, and Avon oh, gives a little sorry. like nod of approval. Like that would be like if uh, George Washington wasn't there when Cornwallis signed the uh, treaty <laughs> for peace, peace at the end of the Revolutionary War. I mean, you got to be there to celebrate when one king is, uh, you know, he's basically waving the white flag there in court. Yeah. And then even that scene that you mentioned when Avon's in prison, I mean, it just shows the power that Avon still has even behind bars to, to kind of, you know, make Marlowe work with him. And that's how he gets to the Greek. But, um, I think it should yeah. also be noted that this is a 10 episode scheme. He literally takes him the entire season. I feel like, or, you know, he overthrows Joe in the middle of the season, but it yeah. is like, he has to go to the jail a couple of times. He has to go to the Greeks a couple of times. It's like, but he is one singular focus in season five, and that is to blow up this uh, thing that Joe built, the co-op, and oh, take yeah. control of it. So what do you got? I think uh, let, let's individually you're, grade you're, ours and then come together. Say, bo- both of these are 10, honestly. I mean, blowing up something that was an institution definitely puts you high up, right? I mean, the co-op was – I don't know the history of it, how long it stretches back. But let's just say 10 years in the making, and he just infiltrates, learns, and – detonates it basically uh, yeah. uh just careless doesn't does not care about the history of it doesn't care about anything other than purely let's demolish it and let me take over it because i want power yep uh that's pure 10 in my book i mean that it, the way that he executes it he really doesn't have a stumbling block at all really right yeah. besides omar omar, besides omar. The stumbling block that he has the entire time while executing this plan and then he has to he has to go back to the greeks a few times with the money or something where he's got to get it white like cleaned but I mean, ultimately, he's very precise, and he he knocks out every single domino that he needs to to make sure that this scheme happens. So, yep. blowing up the co-ops to ten in my mind, and I mean, hidden bodies, and I mean, it's just this is that, why he he was able to take over for Avon. He is not as sloppy as some of these other gangsters. This guy is a he runs a tight unit, and he only yep. trusts two people, which is so important to stress. I know I said it at the top of the podcast, but it, the fact that he only has a, he has a family of two. So we really can control really easily what happens and what doesn't happen. Yeah. Within it, within his own organization through that. I am totally fine giving that one there a 10. Um, this next one is maybe as straightforward as it gets. Is this character <laughs> a hero or a villain? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he can't be bought. That's, you know, we have a couple of characters that we're 
talking about doing on this podcast and none, none of them are like this guy. I mean, this guy, you could give him a hundred million dollars and if you're telling him he's a piece of shit, he's going to shoot you in the head. You know, yeah. he doesn't care about money. Uh, $1 or a hundred million, as long as his name is on the streets as you know, being the kingpin and with respect, that's all he really cares about. He cannot be purchased. Yep. Uh, he and can't be stopped either. He's pretty ruthless. If you think about it, it's like, there's plenty of characters that could stop him, but he really, he goes through everybody basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he's... ultimately Avon does bend, you know, bend to his will because he gets him in front of the Greek guy in prison. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is as straightforward as a villain as it gets, but it, it's just wild. And I remember the first time I saw the show and I see him, you know, just go back and, you know, try and mug those two guys in the street for nothing. I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, what is he doing? But when you look at it in hindsight and when you look at the character in, in totality, you just see that that's, that's what he wants and that's what he got. <laughs> he wants to be a gangbanger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind okay. of funny. You don't, you don't really realize who he is until that scene. You're right. Uh, I mean, he gets mad in the jail cell, so you kind of get, to get more and more of it as it goes along. But like up until that part, you cannot figure him out. Uh, and so I, I'm really – I love how the way that they concluded that character because it's this enigma throughout the show. And then it's like it, it does resolve his arc really succinctly. It's like this guy cannot stop being the gangster. He literally has the opportunity to be Stringer and do what Stringer wanted to do, and he just thumbs his nose at it completely. Yeah, and that leads into our next category, which is the legacy of this character. Um, I mean, we said it earlier, number two villain, according to Rolling Stone. I think more importantly, though, anyone who's seen The Wire and really appreciates The Wire, I mean, Marlowe is up there with some of the most memorable characters. Um, so what, what, what do you got for a legacy? Yeah, I was going to say, should we do the starting five of The Wire if Marlowe is coming off the bench as like the sixth or seventh man? I mean, the yeah. starting five would be Avon, Stringer, yep. Yep. McNulty, Bunk. Okay. Are you talking like Im- impact on the show here or like your your top five characters? I'm just thinking of who gets the most screen time Air and time. is the most popular. Like almost like Avon goes away in seasons four and five, but like, man, the prison stuff in season five is so great because it shows like he hasn't ever really gone away. He's still there. Like, you know, yeah. like he's not the lead character of the show anymore, but like, man, he, his personality is still lingering all over Baltimore, even though he's in behind bars. Uh, so who you got your five? Of course. Yeah. yeah Omar. Omar. Omar, of course. Yeah. yeah. I should have started with Omar. Yeah. yeah so, so I got Omar. I got Omar Avon Stringer. Uh, I got McNulty. And yeah, McNulty has to be because he's the closest thing to like yeah. the protagonist quote right. unquote in this show. And I'm throwing Bodie in there, man. I wrote I Bodie. Yeah. I mean, I you, you followed him from a kid in the pits to where he ended up. So I, I love that character. That was actually, I mean, there's a few, again, you got to love how he makes it out too. spoiler alert. Yeah. I was going to say like there, there is a few deaths in that show that you're like, ah, oh, fuck man. That Bodie's like was in my opinion, right up there with Wall's death is like the most impactful on the show where you're just like, fuck. And he's, he went out on his terms. Yeah, no, he definitely gets exactly what he wants. Uh, Bodie, what a character. Great character. But um, so you mentioned you the legacy of, of Marlo, though. I mean, he had an opportunity to go legitimate. He he had an opportunity to f- fulfill the uh, dream that Stringer Bell wanted. And he just said, fuck that. Goes back to the streets. Um, for me, I mean, that legacy is, is impactful. I think his legacy is uh, as tied to this show as any other character could be tied to that show. I mean, like we said, he might be this character player off the bench, but when you're thinking about this show, I mean, he is up there and he doesn't do much. His, his character is not like a well-written character. He doesn't have a ton probably on the, the page, but he's made him into this incredibly memorable character. So I think his legacy has got to be pretty high. Yeah, no, I mean, it's when you're comparing him to other villains, it's hard to say that he's not one. Cause he really is this guy who comes out of nowhere. I mean, if you're comparing him like a Cersei Lannister, she has family power that she kind of just inherits naturally in that show and wields it throughout. But like, she's kind of just like almost a stagnant character. She's not moving around. She's always seated. And she kind of just rules from that throne, the power position. Like Marlo earns everything and like you're kind of again led to believe that he comes from absolutely nothing and he has just this great anger towards pretty much every male in society and even through his bad upbringing is like you know whatever against all odds he ends up being a kingpin I guess is what I'm saying so it's like he really does rise 
uh, as high as anybody from his set of circumstances, for sure. I mean, obviously, it's an evil trajectory. He's not a good person, but like it's it's definitely an amazing uh, just to see somebody who, again, has no backstory or at least we're kind of almost filling in his backstory here. Right. Do what he's able to do. And he's just such an enigma. No cars, no jewelry, uh, just no high profile. Again, Avon is like this character. He's almost like a diva of sorts. It's like he's like the LeBron James of West Baltimore. <laughs> but like Mar- Marlo is the kind of guy who has like no brand. He's the kind of guy, no Instagram. Like, you know, he's not flashy. The only thing he ever really does is play poker. Um, yeah. He's like Damian Lillard, if you will. <laughs> yeah, Damian Lillard's a good basketball comp to keep the sports thing for sure. Yeah. If I were to give it a grade, I mean, he's definitely up there. He's uh, eight or nine. Uh, I mean, Marlo Stanford. I mean, what else is there yep. to say? Marlo. I mean, you can't. Any name that ends with an O, I think of Marlo. You know, like if I ever hear, I, I can't come up with it in my head, but if I heard something, I'd be like, oh, Marlo. Marlo. Like the, the name just comes to mind sometimes. So I also was between an eight and a nine. So let's give it an eight and a half for Legacy. That's this perfect. Last category Would you want to have a beer with this character? Uh, no. <laughs> Because most importantly, he's not one for small talk. He would not be talking sports. He would certainly not be talking pop culture. I, that, I'm just going to go with safe to say he does not go to the movies. He nope. doesn't watch TV, and he probably hates bars. So this guy is not someone you'd want to bring to a bar because he's not a conversationalist, and he probably doesn't know how to interact in a social scene like that. Yeah, I am absolutely not getting a beer with Marlo. <laughs> he, he also uh, should be mentioned too. I think I don't think we, he does a lot with his eyes, and he kind of stares people down and shakes them down and assesses them, just like bluntly, like staring at them. So, like staring across from someone so intense at a bar would not be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he would not be funny. He'd be judging you, evaluating constantly, and he would make you hang your. He'd make you hang yourself. He's that kind of person. You, you would talk yourself into. Uh, <laughs> into an early I, grave. I actually was wondering this, and, and let's talk this through. Do you think he even drinks? Do we see him drink on the show? Like, he seems like no, such a no. pal guy. I, I put that on the list as, a, you know, this guy is a code. So let's, yeah. let's, we should go through these bullet points. This is like the playbook for him. Don't waste his time, as we've already said. Trust only a few that he's only got two. Take information, give them nothing. Reputation is more valuable than money. You got to uh, be precise with your knowledge of the law. So no phones, face-to-face meetings, no buildings. Yeah. Team, know the law is definitely a principle. And then I, one of the tenets of Marlowe is sobriety. Yeah. He has all of his men be sober because I think he thinks of the Avon crew as sloppy because they're always partying, drinking, smoking. Yep. And so he has his guys are sober. And then, of course, no middlemen. He removes the co-op and then always look people in the eye, as we've said. Yeah. That's Marlo. That's like his his code, man. And it's interesting because the guy is always in control. I feel like he never wants to be drunk or fucked up where he he might be vulnerable and someone could come at his crown. So, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting to me. But uh, it's so fun, it's so funny because it's like, what is he really going for? Even though we've now we've talked about him for an hour, but like, even if it is just his reputation, like, yeah, he's getting all this money and power, and like, yeah, he does not want to drink or celebrate with anybody. He doesn't even want to. He doesn't even want to have a night where he kicks up and watches his favorite TV show. What does he want? <laughs> right. Um, like what is yeah. his perfect evening? <laughs> it, it, we don't know, which is – Yeah, we which don't know. It's just great. Yeah. Um, so for, for me, what, what's going to mess this up is I think we put this as a zero, right? We wouldn't want to be with him? No, not at all. So this might fuck up his, uh, his power score here. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think a memorable role player, you know – they're not all going to be beer guys. And so some guys will have, you know, I think I'm, I'm hoping that the points will disperse evenly, you know, that's true. We gave, we gave Polly a hard criticism and then we probably graded him high on the beer. That's so true. We gave him a seven. Yeah. I guess maybe, maybe we can give Marlo like a two, uh, but it is, it really is a zero. Cause I would not, I wouldn't want to be seen publicly with it. All right. So this is interesting because <laughs> I just, I just ran the numbers through the models, proprietary double down Trent, algorithm so we gave Paulie Wallace several different scores his overall power ranking was 7.5 I'm going to recap you Marlo here so for quote we've got an 8 for scene we got a 7 for plot and scheme we've got a 10 for legacy we got an 8.5 and, and if I put a 0 down for beer Marlo Stanfield's overall power score is exactly 7.5 
So we are, we're just 7.5 guys. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> if, if we put Marlo down for a one, it automatically now becomes a 7.6. Ah, okay. So I'm going to leave this up to you, sir. The, you picked our role players. You've nailed the first two. And it's, and it's so funny because it comes down to Polly and Marlo. We were yeah. The beginning. yeah. Marlo would not, not be happy if Polly was the kingpin. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, Let's give Marlo a one. And okay. Let's walk, let's walk through it. You're not going to get fucked with. That's yep. a huge positive. If you're going out to the bar with him and he is the king, you're not going to get fucked with. That's true. If you're in his crew, you're protected. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, if you're having a beer with him, you're more than likely in his crew. So he's right. protecting you. And he's more than likely going to pick up the tab, even though he'll probably look at you like you're a slug. He'll, he'll, he'll pay for your beer. You might get a look, but you're going to get free beer. Uh, and... To, to give him the one point, and I think this is important, you're having a beer with him, so he must have lightened up a little bit. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right. If, if so he's having the beer, that means he's made some sort of stride. His guard is down slightly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a positive direction since we last saw him. You know? Hey, man, I like to think maybe after the very first co-op, they all went and grabbed a beer together, but hey, I, I don't think that happened. <laughs> I think some of them are very friendly in the co-op, and there's yeah. definitely – but he has no interest for any of them. He's just pure disdain for – Anybody that's really not him, uh, I mean, he likes Chris, I guess, but I mean, he really just hates every human being. He's like Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Blood. <laughs> he really just, he hates humanity. <laughs> uh, okay, so there you have it. 7.6 for Marlo. Right now, he's got the crown for the best role player. Uh, any parting, uh, yeah, any parting thoughts we've got on Marlo? Just that uh, he's a fantastic role player. A little definition again. You know, Omar is kind of like the face of the show. But behind the face is this Marlowe character, and they're very intertwined. I feel like uh, to kind of go off of it, too, it's like they have animosity towards everyone almost. It's just like Omar is doing it against the drug dealers, whereas like Marlowe is doing it against uh, other drug dealers, too. But he's doing it for his own power to become the kingpin, whereas like Omar is getting his power by being Robin Hood. And he doesn't want to be the king, but he definitely wants to inflict pain. So it's like they're kind of going for the same thing, but they're not. And so they're definitely these inter- interconnected characters. And Omar is obviously like the legacy defining character of the show. But if you peel away from him, behind him stands Marlo. And, and he's just as interesting of a character, I think. And quite frankly, just as good of a performance from uh, Jamie Hector. I mean, he really does a great job, especially in that Prop Joe scene where he comes in. It's like, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean that, that goes toe to toe with any of the acting in this series. He does such a just such a well delivered uh just like, yeah, close your eyes. It's going to be fine. A character well-deserving of a full breakdown on a podcast. I'm glad we picked Marlo. I'm glad we did this one. Uh, to put you on the spot here, I don't know. Have you thought about who we're going to do next week? Uh, you know, I hate to keep picking, like, the most obvious ones, but I feel like they're, you know, you got to keep picking from the classic shows. I'm, I kind of want to dive into Breaking Bad and do Mike Ehrmantraut. Yes. Yes. I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so hard not to pick, uh, you know, the, on the, if you have the Mount Rushmore of shows, I mean, we've done the wire and, and Sopranos and have kind of jumped into those series and then focus on these characters. It's like, I kind of, I haven't done that with Breaking Bad in a really long time. Yeah. So I'm excited. I think and I love, I love my too. He's a perfect role player. Such a good character. Um, all right. So we're, we're really excited to do this. This is our second one. As we we've talked about, we're really hoping uh, that the listeners enjoy the segment. We're hoping to turn this into its own standalone podcast, create a little double down trend network. Uh, so if anyone who's listening, if you enjoy it, send us uh, some, some suggestions messages. too. Yeah. If, if, if you want us to break down a role player character, I'd love nothing more than to hear somebody say, do this character for an episode and, we just do it. Like yep. I'm, I'm so down. Absolutely. Of course, uh, as long as it's not sex in the city, because I don't. <laughs> that's true. We do have uh, limitations. We've seen a ton <laughs> of TV and ton of movies, but we do have some limitations in terms of what we know. So, um, all right, man, that was excellent. That's episode 43. Uh, see everybody next week on Double Down Trent.